glad that you're with us today as we continue our series on 2 Peter. And normally there's a TV right here, but you guys watching at home, there's a screen magically appearing right here. Uh, because uh, we had technical difficulties today, and our tech team, the wizards that they are, was able to get these screens working. Give them a hand. You don't understand how much... I mean, from just making sound happen, to video happen, to online presence happen, they have quite the job. I'm watching my son gray every week as, as, as we, we get there. Well, today we are going to actually finish up chapter one uh, of Second Peter, and my hope is, as we dive into this, that You'll be encouraged, not only from the video that you saw, because that's what we're going to be talking about, that's what Peter talks about, uh, the power of the Word of God. But my hope is that some of you will be encouraged that what a mighty truth that we have in our possession. And I'm hoping that some of you, because I know there are some, there has to be, here this morning or online, who have possibly bought into an idea um, about what the Word of God is or is not. And my hope is, as we walk through this, to lay down some groundwork, because this is important, because at the beginning we talked about that Peter's emphasis in writing this second book is how do you combat battle, false doctrine, false teaching that was creeping into the church then and creeps into the church today and the moral compromise in the last days. And what he was speaking as true then is, is so true today. Even as I read the news stories today and I just shake my head and I, I'm much like Jeff. I, what's next? I, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm sitting here going, how could it get any worse? Well, it could get a lot worse. So, and it's probably going to get a lot worse in our time frame. But how much false teaching, false truths that are out there, because if you say something enough, it becomes true. If you quote it enough time, doesn't matter whether it's factual, you just have to say it enough times. And we are a gullible people that we just bite on it rather than search for ourselves. It's my encouragement as we walk through this. Because he's built this case. Is a divine work has happened inside of you as believers in Christ, a supernatural act. And not only that, you've been given everything you need. Everything you need to live this life has been presented to you in order to serve him in the calling that you have. And plus, we get to partner with him in this calling. He wants us to partner with him for the redemption of man, that we get to play a part in this story. And last week, we talked about our salvation, that our salvation is perfect and complete but needs to be diligently pursued. And we talked about those seven qualities that need to be sought after as we grow in our faith. So if you have 2 Peter there, we're gonna, I'm going to read the, the passage we're going to deal with today, and then we'll unpack it from there, get the context of the whole thing. Verse 12 says, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body because I know that I am soon we put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I'll make every effort to see that after my departure you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow 
cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For we, he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory saying, this is my son whom I love with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretations for the prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The main point today and the main thrust is this. The only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth is the Bible, guys. Now, I'm not talking, well, you mean all books? You know, this is the only thing. There's no tech. There's no computers. No, I'm talking about the source of truth. The only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth is the Bible. And that's especially true today in a world of false teachings that were in Peter's day, but are in today's world, that we need to get a proper understanding where truth comes from. As one writer said, it's, today it's a, he uses the word a kaleidoscope of truth that's out there. There's zodiac, crystals, tarot cards, beads, dreams, visions, voices from the dead, signs and symbols, inner feelings, aliens, angelic beings, cloud formations, personal conversation with the Holy Spirit, and all of them seem to contradict each other. And you may have fallen into, well, you know, I had my, my tarot cards read, and this is what it said. Or I, or I look at the zodiac, and it's, it's mainly how precise it is in my life. Whatever you guys are using for where truth is, all these things that are coming, the Bible said, guys, that's not where truth is found. Matter of fact, they contradict themselves, and they con contradict the Bible. John MacArthur made a bold statement, and some of you may twinge at this, but... There is no such thing as a brand new spiritual truth, only clear understanding of the timeless truths that already exist. There is no such things as brand new spiritual truths, something that has never been known before, because if I read my Bible right, which I have to, I believe that this is the word of God, it says everything I need to know, everything I need to know about God is wrapped up in those words. So it's, it may be a new spiritual truth to me because something from the Bible got unlocked, but there's no extra source that you're going to find some spiritual truth that's not in the Word of God. And that's not, that's not what's popular today. We want to get truth from all these other things. The Bible is the truth. It has always been the truth and is an eternal truth. In the book of 1 Peter, Peter first writes in chapter 1, verse 23, he says this about the Word of God. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. Living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flower falls. That's a fancy way saying, y'all going to die. Okay? That's just a very poetic say, guys. We're here, and then we're gone. But the word of the Lord... 
What does it say? Stands forever. There is not any new spiritual truths that the Bible has not revealed. You may be revealed something in the scripture that you've never seen before, but it's found in the word of God. And what Peter does, he's going to answer, why can the Bible be trusted? Because believe it or not, guys, we're in a battle right now. The war is raging. As I've been reading many books and articles and YouTube things, kind of preparing for the next chapter of just the false teachings that I see that are attacking the church today. This is a battle. And the only thing that can win the battle is what the Word of God says. Paul puts it like this in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient. The early church was in a war. The present church is in a war. It's in a battle for truth. And we have a weapon that will demolish their strongholds. We have a weapon that you can, if you use the word of God correctly, can just cut away their arguments and their pretenses and everything that they put forward as they, what believe is truth. Our weapon is more powerful than anything they have because we have a truth and theirs is based on a lie. So let's go, dive into verse 12, 2 Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 12. So I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you have, I think it's right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. You know, they say, literally, after one hour from right now, you will forget 90% of what I said today, which is a little frustrating. As much time as I prep and spend and put together and notes and all this kind of stuff to realize 90%. And I think that's a high margin. I mean, I, I think it's a lot higher, like maybe 98%. Then you guys are just going to because you're already thinking about lunch. You're already thinking, you know, what am I going to do today? Is it going to be too smoky to be outside? You've got a ton of thoughts running through your brain right now, and now you're listening to a talking head with a silly hat. It's not a silly hat. I love this hat. This is my birthday hat. I did a brand new hat. I, you know, see, I'm color-coordinated today, man. I got the red going. Now, you're listening to me, but over 90% of what I'm going to say is going to be forgotten. And as a speaker, that can be very frustrating. Okay, because when I put notes together, what are people going to remember? How are they going to remember this? So I relate to Peter when he says, I'm going to refresh. I'm going to remind you as often as I can. And that's why if you've been here for any length of time, there's certain things we keep pounding on because I'm going to say it till the day I die. I'm going to refresh. I'm going to remind because all of us need that. They needed it back then. We need it today. And the problem today is truth. Truth has become subjective, not objective. Truth today is about your feelings, not about the facts. And because this fact, again, it's back to you say it enough times, that's fact or this fact. I don't care if you're talking about race relations. I don't care if you're talking about COVID, vaccines, whatever it is. Fact, 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 fact. 
you're going to have to dig. And here's the deal. Truth, for truth to be true, has to be objective. It's about, not the feelings, it's about the facts. And that's where Peter's trying to drag us into. Because I want to remind you about the facts of what you have in your possession. Verse 14. Because I know that I will soon put aside, as our Lord Jesus has made it clear to me, and I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. He knows he's going to die. We've already talked about that in the, in the, in the first time, uh, the, the, uh, part one. That he knows, he's been told by Jesus he's going to die, and he wants to write this thing down. So that here's this letter that he wants them to have so they can go back over it and remind themselves. And this is why he said, let me tell you why I know what I know. Verse, 16, verse 15, 16. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This word here, cleverly invented story, the word there is myths. We didn't make up some myth, some speculation, some fable, which the Greeks were famous for. Myths of just stories. I, I, I love stories. I went, to go see, I went to go see Jungle Book, first time in a movie theater in a year and a half. Great flick. Women, you're going to have a great time. I'm not going to tell you anything about it. It was just thoroughly enjoyable. And, but it's not real. Okay, there's not a real jungle cruise and all the stuff that happens. It's a myth. It's a story. I love stories. I love watching Star Trek. I mean, I love watching Star Wars, Avengers, Matrix, Chronicles of Narnia. I love all those things. But here's the deal. There is not a galaxy far, far away. There is not an alternate universe in your, in your closet hiding there. And no one believes that. We get carried away in the story. We love the story, but the, and the story can convey a truth, mind you, but it's a myth. It's been cleverly put together. That's why it hit the big screen. I mean, it's, it's got story. It's got this. It's got intrigue. I mean, and I love to be surprised. I was surprised in, in, in Jungle Cruise. I mean, it surprised me. I love being, because I usually can figure things out. I go, oh, this is going to happen. I know this is going to take place. This is going to happen here. And I was surprised. I enjoy being surprised. That's a good story. Peter's saying, guys, this is not a story. This is not made up. This is not a clever thing to get you thinking about a certain way. Paul says it this way in 1 Timothy 4, 7. Have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Don't deal with this myth about this, about this. You focus in on what the Word of God says. And Peter begins to say, guys, it wasn't cleverly put together. Verse 16 goes on to say, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. When we told you about the power of our coming, Lord Jesus Christ, we were what? Eyewitnesses to his majesty. Now, being an eyewitness, when you see something, I mean, you have a, a story to tell, obviously. Peter is speaking. He's one of the first disciples to be called. He saw everything. Even though in the midst of seeing everything, experiencing everything, he really didn't get it till after the resurrection. So Peter witnessed all these things, and he begins to tell a story of one of the events that he'd witnessed. And it's found in, if you put your finger there and turn over to Luke chapter 9, because he's talking about this eyewitness account that's found in Luke. It's found in two other of the Gospels, but Luke 9 
talks about where Jesus grabs Peter, James, and John. I mean, you had the 12 disciples, then you had Peter, James, and John, then you had Peter. But it seemed like Peter, James, and John were always pulled away. And so Jesus grabs them, not telling them what they're going to do. They head up, most likely it's Mount Hermon. It says a, a mountain, head up a mountain. And it says there in verse 29, as he was praying, so Jesus is praying, his appearance changed. The appearance of his face changed and his clothes became bright as flashing light. Lightning. Two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor, taking, talking with Jesus. They spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to the fulfillment at, in Jerusalem. So here they are experiencing this. What's interesting, uh, verse 32 talks about that they were sleeping. seems like whenever Jesus is praying, the disciples were sleeping. And so they're waking up. And so here's Jesus and a lot, flashes of lightning. Here's Moses and Elijah. Their appearance changed and they're drawn into this. So Peter's experiencing this for the first time and he sees this. And in verse 33 says, as, men, as the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to, to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And I love in Luke, in parentheses, he says, he did not know what he was saying. I, I, <laughs> when I thought about it, I said, so here's Luke. I mean, he, I don't know, he may have met Peter at some point in time. So he's getting the story. He's a, he's a historian. He's writing this down. And he just kind of, uh, by the way, Peter had not a clue what he was talking about. Because <laughs> he was half asleep in the first place. All right, so Peter, who is basically ready, shoot, aim kind of guy, I mean, he usually puts his foot in his mouth. So let's, let's build some more altars. Let's build some sacred tents for all three of you. And Luke says he didn't get it. Verse 34 says, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and enveloped them. And they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And here comes a voice from the cloud, a voice from heaven, God the Father speaking. This is my son, whom I have chosen. Listen to him. My son's greater than Elijah and Moses. Moses was the one who represented the, the law. Elijah was the one who represented the prophets. But my son is greater and all of them listen to him and obey him. And that's why he says in, in verse 17, for he received, speaking of Jesus, honor and glory from God the Father, when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on that sacred mountain. We were eyewitnesses. Now he's building this case. Now I'm just, we saw it. We heard it. We touched it. We felt it. Everything, all the feelings, all the experiences were there. But then verse 19 says, and we have the word of the prophets made more certain. 
Guys, if I give you an eyewitness account, if I tell you something that happened, eh, man, it's outlandish. And I've, I've told you some stories, true stories, of things that have taken place. But you could say, I don't know if that really happened. Maybe Tim's embellishing on that. Maybe he hallucinated it. Maybe this really didn't take place. Really, Tim, your wallet and your phone stayed, and stayed on your bumper of your truck as you drove from Home Depot in Elk Grove all the way home with product in the back. When you got out, it was still on your bumper. I don't believe that. Now, you can tell me that. It happened. I mean, it happened. I still go, what the heck? That angel must have been sitting on that because the receipt between my wallet and my phone blew away. But my wallet and phone stayed on the back trunk or back bumper of my big old truck all the way down 99 from Elk Grove. How did that happen? You can say, I don't know if I believe that, Tim. Are you sure you didn't put that back and then you forgot you put it there when you got out of the truck? Because you can argue with that. I have no proof. I have no proof. Didn't take any pictures, had no, no camera following me, nothing. See, you've got to accept my word or you have to say, ah, it didn't really happen. And Peter's saying, guys, we were eyewitnesses. But you have something more certain. You got something better than an eyewitness. You've got the prophets. You've got the Hebrew scriptures. Now, this is not talking prophets, just the prophetic books of the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. He's talking about, guys, you have the Hebrew scriptures. Even made more certain than my eyewitness account. Yes, I saw it. Yes, I was there. But you're, you have to take my word for it. But look at what you have here. Now, the New Testament wasn't put together yet. It's going to be 200 years before you get the New Testament. But you have the prophets. You have the Hebrew Scriptures that is made more certain. So that's why he says, pay attention to it. Why? It's the only absolute, infallible, and errant, reliable source of truth, the Bible. More certain I can tell you what I saw, but let me show you what I, what's written here by the prophets of old. If you're going to expose false teaching, then you better know what the real teaching is. That's a problem today because we're so unfamiliar with what the Word of God says. When false teaching creeps in, we can't combat it because it sounds, it sounds good. It sounds spiritual. It sounds like something God would say until you compare it to what the Word of God says. Charles Swindoll says this. He says, in very practical terms, it would mean we study it, not merely read the text. We ponder it. We don't simply peruse it. We memorize Scripture. We don't simply mutter it. And we apply it in our lives rather than simply framing a few verses and hanging them on our walls. I'm going to crunch that together. Study it. Don't merely read it. Ponder it. Don't simply peruse it. Memorize it. Don't simply mutter it. Guzzle it. Don't just simply just sip it. Apply it. Just don't frame it on your walls. Because that's what we tend to do. This word of God that is so precious that he said, even we have the prophets that made more certain, pay close attention to it. And he tells us why in verse 19. 
And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. And you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. This word dark means murky, barren, dim. And you guys have the word of God that is designed to bring light to the darkness. Psalm 119 and 105 says, you guys know this verse, or you've heard it many times, I'm sure your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I love the fact it's a word as a lamp to my feet, that that's all I get to see is what's right in front of me. Which means, guys, you're going to have to be pulling this out every day to know where the next step's going to be. If you remember, if you hear the illustration of the, the lant, lantern, you, know, you hold up the light, you can only see so far. So I'll walk to his, the point where I can see, but when I get to that point, guess what? More of the path is lit up. That's what he's saying here every day. That's why Psalm 119, 178 times the word of God is referenced in Psalm 119. 178 times. Guys, the priority, pay attention to this because this will bring light to a very dark place. And not only a dark place, the rest of verse 19 says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. How long you should be doing that? Until Jesus comes back. I mean, till the day dawns refers to Jesus' return, which you'll talk about in chapter 3 of Second of Peter. And the morning star rises in your heart. Throughout Scripture, it's in your notes, where Jesus is referred as the morning star. Now, that's not just saying, hey, read it in the morning. Encourage you to read it in the morning. Encourage you to read it at night. Encourage you to take it throughout the day. I mean, you, you carry your dang phone everywhere you go. Therefore, you've got the Word of God wherever you go, on your apps, once you have the app. You keep doing this until the day dawns. You will never stop because, like me, I'm learning things new all the time, and I've underlined things. I go, oh, I, I forgot about that. Or underline circle new things as I'm working through the Psalms again. Go, I missed that word. Wow. As you're, as you're unfolding this, as you're showing this, as you're revealing this to me. You keep doing this, guys, until the day because you have... You have the prophets. You have what God has spoken. That's why verse 20 says, above all, you must understand no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. Again, prophecy is not just talking about the prophetic books in the, in the, in the Old Testament. It's talking about the entire amount of Scripture. And if we add to what the writings of Peter, Paul, James, and the rest, we have the entire, both the Old Testament and the New Testament that is there. And it was not by their own prophet's interpretation. They just didn't feel something about God, open up a, a journal and start writing reflective thoughts. I do that. I got my journal. I got my Bible. If something jumps out at me, I'll, I'll, I'll quote the scripture and I'll write it down because I feel this is the impression that this scripture has given me. He's saying it wasn't like that. It wasn't them seeing God do something and then giving, them, giving you their thoughts about it. It was actually God's word flowing through them to us. That's, that's what he's saying here. It's not based on their own interpretation. Peter is not referring to explanation. What I do here on Sunday morning and unpacking things, whoever's speaking up here, is that we explain, we we. we show the word of God, we see how it works and how the words are put together. I'm not giving you interpretation of what 
that is. I'm giving you an explanation. We may think all the time that we may think of, this is exactly what the Word of God says. But then I'll read this. I mean, guys, for my prep time, I got a stack of book this, this high of, of commentaries that I read through, articles I read through to try to get to the bottom of what the Scripture says. And I don't just trust one voice. I've got a bunch of, from Swindoll to MacArthur to Sproul to Manny to, to so many different voices that I'm reading to get the proper understanding of what the Scriptures say, to understand the power that you have. A little history lesson, guys. The Great Reformation that took place hundreds of years ago, basically the only authority in the world at that time for the church was the Catholic Church. Now, there's not the bag against the Catholic Church right here, but the Catholic Church, the only ones who had the Word of God and could interpret the Word of God was the Pope and the priests. That was it. There was no Bible. You didn't have no Bible that you could carry with you. It was in Latin. It was in the language of the hierarchy, of the, of the church. Martin Luther came around. He, he saw the need for the scripture to be translated into German so the common people could read it for themselves. And the Catholic Church went cuckoo crazy and eventually killed him over it. But one thing that came out of that reformation, oh man, I'm t- taking a lot of history and squishing it now, is that scripture became the primary thing. That it was scripture alone, not what the church interpreted it to be or the decrees of the church at that time. You needed to get in the scripture. And the biggest thing that happened is that the Bible became in, was written in the language of man. So Martin Luther translated it into German. Matter of fact, his friends kidnapped him out of custody of the Catholic Church. He appeared as a knight in some castle where he translated the New Testament into German. And the fear was, if we give you guys the Bible, hell is going to break loose. I mean, interpretations are going to go crazy. And they did, okay? Because there were some that didn't understand the backing and understand. That's why it says study, show yourself approved, get dive into the Word of God. Because you can take the Bible and make it mean anything you want it to mean. I mean anything if you take it out of context. And here's the danger when we, you, I, have possession of the Word of God. Because, let's say, a brand new Christian, as I read the Bible as a brand new question, the friend that was discipling me said, hey, put question marks as you're reading going down. Man, I had question mark, question mark, question mark about this because I didn't understand things. I didn't have a background on these things. He did. He was much more trained to help me, to help me know how to study the Word of God. Because how many times have I heard, this is what God said, this is why God said it, or as I call it, where people have played the God card on me. I've had many people come to me and say, hey, you know, Tim, God told me this. Now, let me warn you, if you you ever think about doing this to me, is that, that it's not fair to play the God card. What am I going to say? You're telling me God told you, and if I say no, then I'm doubting God. I mean, to to play the God card. Now, I I don't know if, unless I'm quoting the word of God, I don't know how many times I've ever said God told me. I can say God's moving me in a direction. I feel God's leaning me this way. There are many times I can say that, but I've had people in my office that God told me this, played the God card on me. One person believed that God told them that we should put mailboxes, as a church, we should put mailboxes on every single corner of the town. 
where people could put their praises and prayers in on every corner. God told this person that we need to do this. And I look at it and I said, you know, besides being illegal, <laughs> we can't do that. Maybe God is saying that, you, how about if you put one in front of your house? Have your husband build one and put one in front of your house and let's see what happens. Let's see if people use it. Well, you just thought that I said the worst thing in the world because now I'm doubting what God told this person. And uh, guys, the God card, you just can't play the God card. Now, I'm not saying you don't come to me where you feel God is leading you in a certain direction. Guys, trust me, I've got a great board. I've got a great group of friends that if I feel God is leading us in a direction, I don't just say, God has told me that we're to do this, obey me and follow. That's not going to work uh, with our board. That's not how it works. I may give something, someone else may give something, and we'll beat it up, we'll kick it around, and maybe we'll come up to even a better conclusion of whether we should be going. But guys, sometimes the word of God is taken, abused, and used in ways that it was never designed to be used. That's why we need to study it, not merely read it, ponder it. Don't just simply peruse it. Memorize it, don't simply mutter it. Guzzle it, don't just sip it. Apply it and just don't frame it on your walls. Because the end of verse 21, it says, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of men but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Because the ultimate source of your Bible is God himself. It's not man thinking of awesome things that they've had thought on top of a mountaintop or experienced about God. It's God literally moving them. And this, this section where it says carried along by the Holy Spirit is literally the language of the sea. This is from a wordsmith that says this, the motion of the ship is not found in the inherent power, inherent power of the ship itself. Rather, it moves when the sails are filled with something external to the ship. They didn't have power boats back then, and they didn't have rowboats. I mean, the Romans had, had those things, but mostly the ships were powered by wind but nothing inside itself of the boat itself could make the boat move. It needed an outside influence upon it to move it, and that's what it means to be carried along by the Holy Spirit. These people that wrote, the, all the authors that you have, 66 different, authors, 66 different books, 40 different authors. That's why 2 Timothy, Paul writes this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 17, all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. All scripture is God-breathed. God did not, you know, the, the writers didn't just turn into robots and all they weren't dictated to and they just wrote down. No, God used their personalities. That's why we can tell a letter written by Peter. That's why you can tell a, a letter written by Paul because he uses certain words. I guarantee you, if you got a letter from me and you got a letter from John Grinrod, you would know you got a different letter from two different people, right? He's a wordsmith, man. He, he, he just, Larry Hunter, the same way, man, they're just wordsmiths. I, you know, if it's past three syllables, I don't try to type it. I can't, I can't even spell it, all right? So I keep it really simple. You know what I wrote compared to these guys, and it just, 
our personalities, how we write is different. Same way with Peter, same way with Paul, same way with James, same way with Moses. We can tell how they wrote in the style that they wrote, but God used that style to get the message of what he wanted to say across. These are not just made-up clever stories. This is from God himself of what you need to use to fight against false doctrines, fight against false teachings, fight against moral compromise that comes in the last day. One of the popular things today that I believe is attacking the church is, I'll just use their vernacular because it's the choice that has been used. You have what's called the progressive, progressive Christianity and historical Christianity. Now the word progressive, so, you know, we need to progress in our faith. Tim, didn't you say that last week? We need to grow in our faith? That's not what the progressive is. What you're seeing in churches today, and I believe has crept, I guarantee you, has crept into this room today, is the idea that, you know, Tim, the Word of God is, it's old. I mean, it's over 2,000 years old. What we need to do, we need to progress in our understanding of how God is relating to culture today. We need to progress and change. So we need to adapt to the culture today. That's what progressive Christianity is. It comes in simply as, you know, we just need to love people. And so they grab language that is, is of the scripture. But yes, we need to love all men. We need to reach out. We need to do all this. But then what's added to it, then you need to change. You need to adapt. You need to accept. You need to change how you view marriage and how you view relationships and how you view all these things. You need to progress in that. I'm going to tell you guys, this is hitting the church as one writer, I just finished a book yesterday called Fault Lines, and it's an interesting book uh, talking about the fault lines. And as he describes the fault lines and, you know, and our, you know, that, that exist in California, when they shift is when we have an earthquake. And he's talking about, guys, we're in fault lines. There's going to be a shift. The church will always survive, but it's going to be catastrophic. It's already begun in some churches, guys. I'm telling you, and maybe because of just the nature of my job and where I need to read and what I need to view, I'm seeing changes within the church that scares me because we're moving away from the historical word of God and people are trying to change that to fit the current culture that we exist in. Guys, that is part of this teaching that has crept into the church. We'll deal more of that coming into chapter two. Guys, God has not changed his mind of how we view things. God has not changed his mind how he views marriage, relationships, business, how you should treat one another. God has not changed his mind. He has not expanded. There is no additions to that. The spiritual truths are there to be interpreted in our times. Culture is not to change what the scripture says. Scripture tells us how we reflect in how we act in the culture that exists. I'm not called to change what the scripture is calling us to be a part. And guys, I believe this is a danger. I believe, again, I don't have names. I guarantee you though, in our church and those who are watching online, there's a tendency for us to want to relate the gospel, which is what we're supposed to do, but not compromise. You can't compromise. I can love, I can extend those things without compromising what the word of God says. 
because it hasn't changed. Application, guys, when you turn to God's word, you're consulting the most absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth there is. Pay close attention to it, Peter said. Swindoll goes on to say this, how many of us, though sip the word of God like it's a cup of bad medicine? We might take it in a spoonful on a Sunday sermon or taste a few drops when it's sweetened by an inspired devotional. But if we take Peter's words about Scripture seriously, we won't sip. We'll guzzle it. It's life-giving truth, letting its cool, clean waters quench our famished souls, satisfying our longing hearts and cleanse our polluted minds. Because that's what the Word of God does. When you make other sources experiences, dreams, feelings, supernatural phenomena or opinions equal to or more reliable than scripture, that's when you fall into error. And that is what's happening today. Scripture is pushed aside for what culture is saying. That these are the needs of the culture. These are the things we have to, to look at. Whether, whether it's insert progressive Christianity and the thinkers thereof, whether it's the LGBTQ-456, whether it's the critical race theory, whether it's reparations, whether it's intersectionality, whatever it may be, all these things that are facing, not only you guys, if you're in business today, but the church, the pressure to, to, to compromise. When those sources are more quoted and believed and believed to have more power than the Word of God, that's when error comes because, again, as I remember, Satan's got a name and his father lies. But he wraps enough truth around it for us to bite. He'll wrap love around something for us to bite and not follow through with what all that comes with that bite that you're consuming. The only absolute, infallible, inerrant, reliable source of truth, guys, is the Bible. So study it. Don't merely read it. Ponder it. Don't simply peruse it. Memorize it. Don't simply mutter it. Guzzle it. Don't just sip it. Apply it. Don't just frame it on your walls. Father, I thank you that you've given us the word. It has survived countless attempts to destroy it, to end it, to get rid of it. But now it's more available on this planet than any other time in the history of man. And yet, as available it is, is how much it's not applied, consumed, and not paid attention to when culture becomes more important than what you've said about culture and how we need to interact with that. So Lord, I pray that you will light a fire under us to get in the book, pay close attention, because these are your words. You've moved men along like a sailboat 
with a mighty wind to write down what you want us to know about yourself, what you want us to know to how to apply to our marriages, our relationships, and our schools, and our businesses, and how to run a church. And so, Lord, Lord, may we not depart from that. May we pay close attention. And thank you for trusting us with it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for tuning in to Horizon Community Church's podcast. Our hope and prayer is that wherever you are, you would be encouraged by this message and be equipped to face any challenges that come your way. More information about Horizon can be found at www.horizonweb.org.